we're talking about Luke. Have you been out of state, like to Mexico, Japan, or any place yet? Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Working Fans Podcast here. We got a loaded episode this week. We got two interviews for you. Mm. We got the 5-3-1 of the Top Cage matches. So we're not going to go a full discussion this week. I just got a couple things I want to talk about. Sure. And then we'll talk about AEW Revolution, which we watched this past weekend. Mm. Just today, I noticed that Beyond Wrestling had announced their season three premiere. It's coming out April 30th. Uncharted Territory. Uncharted Territory. It's going to be a 13-week season, and the finale is going to coincide with American Rana on July 26th. They also further said that season four is going to conclude with a New Year's show, Heavy Lies the Crown. Also, former guest Richard Holiday won the Beyond Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship at their network pilot taping this past weekend. So, And MLW superstar, part of the dynasty. This guy's on fire. Yeah, we're going to name drop that shit all Goddamn day Goddamn right. He did our show. <laughs> we're the consumers. Now, another thing that I saw that was kind of disappointing was that apparently Great Muda's spring break appearance is going to be in jeopardy for mm. GCW. Now, I think it was about Sunday I noticed that GCW had posted a lengthy statement about the problems they had after working out two separate deals with Muda and promoting him for their April 3rd spring break show and to appear on behalf of them at the WrestleCon conference. Now, all this is allegedly because we don't got the money to get sued. Mm-hmm. Maybe AJ, but not us. No, and I mean, too, best of my knowledge, we've only heard, we've only heard GCW's side, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. So, allegedly, at some point, Sonny Ono stepped in saying he would handle Muda's dealings with the company. It sounds like there were allegations of increased demands, and allegedly Ono had stated that he had brokered a deal with a vendor to bring Muda to WrestleCon, which would replace the previous agreement. I don't know what happened, but apparently the company would have been cool with this as long as the vendor was willing to split the cost with them. Mm -hmm. This shocked Ono, and they later found out that Ono was the vendor. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm Also, allegedly, Ono at some point had admitted to it, Mm. but there hasn't been much talk going forward. I was there live for Sasuke versus Janela, live at spring break. I was at the first two spring breaks. 
part of the appeal of the spring breaks is the personalities they bring in. Muda was going to be a big part of this year, and I, I was excited for it. So mm. it was just a little disappointing to hear this. I don't know if this is, in fact, how things happened. but At the end of the day, it's a shame that we can't have Muda and GCW. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. And I've been big on GCW just from the start, almost as much as we've been talking about Beyond. A little less than we've been talking about Beyond. Still a GCW fan. Now, Dave, this past weekend, we had watched AEW Revolution. Mm. What were your thoughts about the show? First off, great show. I thought the only thing that I think University was agreed upon it missed was probably Batlander and Nyla Rose. Just didn't seem like they really clicked. Unfortunately, they had to come after like one of the best tag team matches in a long time, too. Yeah. And I thought Hager and Dustin Rhodes was kind of average. Didn't really... Now, that be, oh, also, too... I'm not so sure about the babyface forcing himself and kissing the man's wife in 2020. Uh-huh. Didn't bother me, but I'm not sure how that will get over in a lot of spots. Yeah, now. it was a different... It definitely came from a different era. It reminded me of when IMTA forced himself on Baby Doll, and David Crocker was like, yeah, she likes it. She likes it. <laughs> no, you know, nobody did that this time. But, you know, yeah. anyway. Shout out to David Crockett. <laughs> I, at least a lot of the matches on this show had been built up for a while. Yeah. Storylines made them important. I mean, some of the biggest matches, Hangman and Omega versus the Bucks. Sure. That one MJF versus it. Cody. I personally liked Hager versus Rhodes, but it was a Haas fight. Mm-hmm. The story going up to it, it's been weeks in advance. This was a really good show. Yeah. Now, there were a couple big news points coming out I of this. I want to say this, too, too. Personally, as great as like, the tag title match, for me, what stole the show was Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Oh, God. Like, Cassidy, yeah. Cassidy is like nothing else that's ever been on a mainstream TV show and a pay-per-view. And I think he's just excellent. And I think if he's continued to use the way he's being used... It's just going to be sky's the limit for him. The kid's money. Now, a couple of news points coming out of this sure. were Colt Cabana sign. Yes. Valuable signing for them. Smart idea to debut, debut him in Chicago. He had a thing where he said, too, that like everything AEW is doing was like what he wanted to do. Like you know, In particular, the Bucks, Cody, that, you know, like on a much smaller scale that he's been trying to do things with the fans and self-promote for years. He said they were just a lot better at it. And he said that Matt's been telling him, Matt Jackson's been telling him for a while, like, you need to be here. Why are you not here? It's stupid you're not here. Yeah, one of the original wrestling podcasters. Mm-hmm. Just vastly successful, but like king of the underground almost. Mm-hmm. Also, the Blood and Guts pay-per-view coming up, their version of War Games. Uh, episode it's of Dynamite. It's not a pay-per-view. Oh, it's an episode of Dynamite. It is. It, actually, that's the match. It's called Blood and Guts. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought that was a pay-per-view. I thought it was the name of the TV show. It was actually Tony said, like, that's what it's going to be, their Blood and Guts match. Because somebody said, I know you can't call it War Games. And Tony was very quick to say, nope. And I never said it was War Games. We can't call it. I know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you know, Tony's watching his ass there. <laughs> and perhaps the biggest news story come out, coming out of this was Cody's <laughs> neck, neck tattoo. tattoo. That fucking, that's, it's so funny. Man. Now, the line that popped me was Brian Last on Facebook wrote that Cody has a neck tattoo on his chest and a chest tattoo on his neck. Mm. And it's hilarious. I mean, Brian Pillman Jr. had a tweet about it. Yeah, yeah. That, what did it say pretty much? It basically said that the tattoo isn't hard to understand, that 
this is his company. This is his heart and his soul. He's putting his neck on the line. So that's why he's wearing it on his neck for everybody to see. I feel like you could go with a lapel pin <laughs> or like maybe an embroidered jacket. <laughs> like, does it have to be on your neck? Especially if you're trying to get acting gigs at some point. Which Tony Khan brought up, actually. Tony Khan said that when asked about it, he said he told Cody, you're all right to do it. Tony, though, he said, you know, it looks cool for a wrestler, which I don't know about that, but he said it looks badass for a wrestler, but it might inhibit you, like, from trying other things, like in Hollywood and everything. Yeah. And he said Cody's a very good wrestler, and, you know, he's got a lot of, you know, a great mind for this. At the end of the day, look, Cody can do whatever the fuck he wants. I, I don't really care. I was going to say, as somebody that has tattoos, the most important part when getting a tattoo is making sure that it's something you're okay with and yeah. you can live with. So if Cody's okay with it, no matter anybody's opinions of how ridiculous it it's, is... Except for maybe his wife. They might have to sit that one. Yeah. That, but that's <laughs> but you know, that it, it's more on him. It's, mm-hmm. it's just the amount of press that it got. And maybe I, that's I, part of the reason. Maybe that's part of the appeal. It, I mean, it is his symbol. I think the thing with Cody and the tattoo was that it was so obvious and it debuted on like a major pay-per-view on a major angle, you know, so it just kind of like just stuck out like a sore thumb. And also like I love Cody's theme music, but I didn't think his band had a particular, you know, great live performance. Yeah. So it's like, and this is a guy who's been killing it and has been my MVP for the promotion. And this is a promotion that's doing really well, but Cody has been my MVP of the MVPs, all right? Yes. But at the end of the day, man, like, that was just like, those, those two things were kind of a miss for me personally. But again, also at the end of the day, I'm not, I don't fucking care. Get yourself a fucking face tattoo like Mike Tyson if that's what you want to do, bro. It's none of my damn business. I know, I want to say it was Wei Ting from post-wrestling. Just basically said, like, we'll get used to it. We will. And I mean, none of us really have a stake in it, so it shouldn't be yeah. ruining anybody's lives. Could you imagine like, if, like, down the road a year from now, I'm just still like, that motherfucker. <laughs> Can you believe he did this to me? <laughs> has nothing to do with me. It's yeah. Dangerous. That's how, yeah, some people... It, it was just a big talking point coming out yeah, of it. Yeah. So, overall, the pay-per-view is a win. That's really all we got for you guys this week. I don't want to say we, we came light, but we had two heavy-hitting interviews. We're about to record another one that you'll hear next week. Current NWA superstar. Figure it out when it comes out. But hey, guys, take it easy this week, and we'll talk to you again later. Have a good, good. one. Hey, this is the NWA's own Charles Davis, and you're listening to Working Fans Podcast. And that's the thing that's important, is fans. We're all fans, we're all people, we all enjoy something. So just search it, get your toes in it. Take a little bit of that in. Also, NWA Power, I'm just going to put that out there. Watch that. But otherwise, Working Fans Podcast, it's for you, it's for me, it's for everybody. So Working Fans Podcast with producer Joe and Dave. And we've got a special guest today on here, NWA announcer Kyle Davis. Excited to talk to this guy. I love the program. Kyle, first off, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Also, producer on NWA. Not just on here, but doing stuff behind the scenes. Really? That I mean, is good. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, awesome, man. <laughs> We've actually been a big fan of the production of the show, just the way it's presented. Love watching it every week. Excited for the new shows coming out. I'm glad to hear that. I, I've heard a lot about people like it's so different. It's a throwback. It's both remember. And I'm happy to, to be able to bring that to everybody. And it's crazy the amount of people do that watch it in the business. You never know. I was just hanging out at the AEW show the other night in Atlanta. 
because one of my close friends, Shane Hagedorn, works for them. And I'm bumping to Kenny Omega, and Kenny's just like, you know what? I love that Aaron Stevens guy. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Did you grow up on NWA Wrestling too, or? So I am from Connecticut, which yep. means NWA Wrestling had no footprint whatsoever where I grew up. Growing up in the 80s, it was WWF country. Uh, you heard about the NWA, I'd pick up the Aftermag, but the Wrestling Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and I'd see all of this lineage and this history of people where I'm like, oh my God, like Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, Ric yeah. Flair, there's blood, there's all of this just history that I have no ability to touch. It wasn't until around 1995-ish, we had a video store called Age of Video 2 in Connecticut, and they had old tape of NWA in the late 80s, right when it was transitioning into WCW. So I'm watching like Star Cade 87 and 88 on VHS years later and just going, it's amazing how different of a product it was than what I was raised on in WWF. We're from Connecticut too. I lucked out. The part of Connecticut I moved to when I was a kid had TBS. So I got to see all like the WCW, like they were in that transition period. It was like 88, 89. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was definitely, it blew my mind, because I was a WWF fan, I mean, you know, that was like my home team, basically, but, you know, when I started seeing, like, the Horsemen beating up Sting and the great Muda, I'm like, whoa, what is this? Yes, <laughs> Muda, when I saw Muda for the first time, I was just blown away, because in my head, I went, so this was, at that point, like, seven years in the past, and I'm just thinking, my God, he works like people do today, he was so ahead of his time. It's like when you get old tapes of Dynamite Kid and Tiger Moss, and it just, you think thinking this is 79, 80, 81. How is this possible back then? Now, I hate to get off track for a second, but I want to ask you a little bit about moving from Connecticut to the South, because my cousin's son <laughs> had uh, recently been drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, and he moved from Massachusetts down there. I've only heard good things about living in the South. Tell us a little bit about the transition for you. <laughs> All right. So I had always been up north type of guy. In fact, when I trained at the ROH Academy, it was in Bristol, PA. So I spent all my time in Connecticut, Philly. I moved to New York for a little bit. And I thought, there's no way to be in the South. <laughs> Ended up moving to Florida in Orlando. And Orlando was fake Florida, so that doesn't count. And then I, so it never really felt like anything. And yeah. then I moved to Georgia like five years ago in Atlanta. And Atlanta is also fake Georgia. So the way I like to say it is, as long as you stay in a major city, it still feels like I haven't gone anywhere. Uh, but without with alienating anybody, but as soon as you leave the perimeter of the Gulf, circle that surrounds Atlanta, it gets a little different. It gets a little time traveling where mm -hmm. sensibilities aren't what I'm acclimated to. I'll see flags and I'm like, wow, I didn't know I'm still there. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, yeah, people tell me all the time about my accent. I don't think I have an accent. <laughs> Anything since. And he thinks that if you ever say, oh, you got an interesting act, I'm like, no, no, I can't fight, but I don't know what you probably set up to. <laughs> and I kind of have that where I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just normal. I don't hear it. But yeah, the people here are wonderful, at least in Atlanta, because it's such a melting pot. It reminds me of being in New York City. Wow. Nice. That's cool to hear. Now, how did you uh, break into the business, Kyle? What, uh, what was your start? Okay, so going up, my cousin, who was four years older than me, was essentially the guy I always hung out with. He was like my older brother. And if anybody had siblings, you kind of latch on to the older sibling and the things that they have interest in, and they kind of adopt that with you. Um, he was a big, huge wrestling fan. In fact, JJ's mind, if he, if he was an athlete, he would probably be a star. Hmm. He just has a mind for it. 
so we started getting into that. I, I grew up on that. ECW, I found one night on MSG Network um, at Sunday morning at 2 a.m. back in 95, and I fell in love with ECW. I always watched like WWF uh, Saturday morning, stuff, but uh, ECW was the thing that made me go, holy Oh, do you swear? I don't oh, yeah, you swear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. I was like, holy shit, this is something I never thought I would do. It was like, uh, it was a dog collar match that I thought. And then, uh, another, I saw Registered Universe of Dude in a, uh, like a, a false count anywhere death match and he's doing whole piranhas off of cars and stuff like that. <laughs> and I just fell in love with it. And then as I watched for the next several years, my dream was one day I want to be a wrestler. And I wanted to go to Dean Malenko's school in Florida. Hmm. And I never got around to it. So then Shawn Michaels started a school. And I said, I want to go to Shawn Michaels' school in Texas. And I never got around to it. And the funny thing is, I used to be almost 300 pounds when I was younger. I was a big, heavy kid in high school and everything. So you develop a personality. High school's the best time to be up awake because everybody loves the best. <laughs> so as time went on, instead of like trying to get fit, I was just like, I want girls to want to hook up with me. So I'm going to look good. I'm going to feel good. So that's the path I went, and as I got into shape, I went, oh my God, I wonder if I could actually do the best thing. Ring of Honor had just started kind of taking off. They got big. I went to see Samoa uh, Joe versus Kepa Zabashi in New York City. Oh, wow. And it was such an amazing atmosphere. And that show was what got me into it, because I was a big All Japan fan. And then from there, there was an ECW reunion show in Philadelphia. It was the week of WWS One Night Stand. Basically, everybody that wasn't contracted to work that worked this show at the old ECW arena that I used to go to in 99 mm-hmm. and 2000, which is a great atmosphere. But everybody was booked there. It was like Shane Douglas and Francine, I think, were running it. And it was hardcore homecoming with the name. So we had that show. Then Ring of Honor ran a show in New York the morning of the ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view. We went to that. And then, of course, I went to One Night Stand right after that, too. So I did three shows in two days. Oh. Because ECW, again, was my favorite brand. But I'm going to see at that ROH show with a flyer for the Ring of Honor. And I was like, ooh, interesting. I eventually would call that number on the flyer. I can't remember that flyer specifically, but Punk was still there and still with Gary. So Punk was the first ROH Academy teacher. And it was Austin Aries. I ended up going when it was Brian Daniel. So I ended up going to a seminar with Penta who was a Bayo Atami in WWE, and now he's Kenta again in New Japan with the Bullet Club. So I went to a seminar with Kenta. I got lost on the way there to Bristol, PA. I showed up late. Turns out I had no cardiovascular ability whatsoever. So I'm throwing kicks and doing push-ups and all this stuff, and I'm just blown up. And I'm like, I kind of really love this, and I need to pull the trigger. So I got a bank loan for, I think, $2,500. I want to say the ROH Academy with Danielson was like three grand if you pay anything from it. But he paid it up front, it was like $2,500. So I took that alone, did $25 of front, and then from Torrington, Connecticut, three days a week, I would drive down to Bristol, PA, crash on my friend Delvin's couch in Philadelphia outside of Bristol, and basically learned that it takes so much more than I ever imagined it would be to be a wrestler when you have some guy like Brian Danielson's break. Wow. <laughs> That's what it, that was how it all started. And then I got hurt doing it too, and I took time off, and by the time I was done with my training, Brian had stop being the trainer for the company. So I'm kind of like the black sheep. I'm the only graduate of the academy when Brian Danielson was there. And Brian and I, every time I see him, I'm like, hey, is there any time that you train me? And he's like, that never happened, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
Now, how long was your in-ring career for? I worked in, I debuted in 07. I started training in 06, I debuted in 07. And then I wrestled until about late 2010. Most of the wrestling I did was in New England, up north. I worked for NWA Liberty States, which was one of the small NWA conglomerates that was run by Ricky O. And then also I would do spot goes for Dave Marquez. Dave Marquez, who I now work with in oh, yeah. NWA Power and everything. Dave Marquez was a big name on the California Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Met him over a decade ago in Vegas with Adam Pierce, who is now a producer for WWE and an agent, but former NWA champion, former Ring of Honor star. And through Adam Pierce, I made all these friends in the NWA so many years ago. That's pretty much how I became a part of the NWA back then. So my in-ring career was during that time, I had a group called the Players Club that I was a part of in the NWA. It was Gaten Amato, who now runs GCW, if you ever seen the GCW show, he's one of the guys that runs that. Eric Andretti, and Gigolo Justin, who is one of the new heavenly bodies, and he is also on TNA now. We used to wrestle people like Salah Ball and everybody else like that, he's also on TNA. Yeah, so you definitely have uh, <laughs> been around the game. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's 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 just interesting. It's the little things where I find that now I've gotten so much kind of exposure from doing the broadcasting stuff that like people are like, oh my god, you were wrestling? Wait, you were trained by Brian Davidson? Wait, you worked in Ring of Honor? <laughs> what? None of this makes any sense. It's funny, the entire reason stop really wrestling for the most part is Adam Pierce. Adam Pierce took over as Booker for Ring of Honor back in the day. And at the time, he looked at me and he's like, hey, you can talk. Not everybody can talk, but a lot of people wrestle. And you're the shift as a wrestler. I'm like, geez, and Adam, <laughs> so nice. He's like, no, 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 but you can talk. He goes, what if you were a fit fan for Ring of Honor? What if you were like our mean gene over there? And I talked to Austin Aries and a couple other guys, and I was like, I don't know. And Austin Aries just said, so you would get paid to be on TV, to not have to take bumps, just to talk, and you have multiple segments every episode. And he's like, you're an idiot if you say no. And so I said yes, mm-hmm. and as time went on, I stopped wrestling completely, even in Andy Way, and I was just doing the ROH on HDNet program for over two years, and basically they're mingy over them. Awesome, man. I'm going to throw something at you here a little bit. We're doing a... Uh... I don't think book. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing a new segment, too, so just my air separately. We're doing it with every interview we get on. We're trying something different. Um... Basically, we're going to do a thing called, uh, what's your favorite? All right? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I like the enthusiasm. It's good. Uh, I got this. I'm excited. Okay. Throw it at me. So, uh, favorite movie. We'll start off with that. Favorite movie, Vanilla Sky. Oh, all right. Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a weird, hopeless romantic. It's all about making the wrong choices. In my youth, I would have said Fight Club, but if you look at Eric Clapp at that, oof, I've, I've aged down in that. That's so funny. Actually, our, our last guest. Yeah, the former Kyle Durden, if I remember looking up your name correctly. That is right. Yes, I used to special as Kyle Durden. <laughs> and uh, the only person that ever really made the connection was uh, Shane Hagedorn, because he was my traveling buddy. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Kyle Durden was everything he wasn't and ended up destroying his life. I'm like, that's exactly it. I became somebody I'd never seen have been. I was a bad person at the time. I was a womanizer. I had an ego. I looked good. I felt good. It was... I was the epitome of a guy in his mid-twenties that had not known what failure was. And it was not a good way to be. And I actually really like that pick of Vanilla Sky because it's one of those movies that really stuck in my head. Like, 
in particular, there's one frame where they're walking down the street, and it's almost like a direct remake of a Bob uh, Bob Dylan album cover. Yes. And it just blew my mind looked, that I believe it was Cameron Crowe could pull that yeah. shot off. The entire movie is basically about how music effects are live, and about midway through, um, without giving a uh, spoiler out there, whatever. It's an old movie. Nobody likes it anyway, except for me, it's right now. Um, it's basically a dude who's in a coma, and he's rich, so they put him in the use coma before they could save him, and he's living the life he wanted to have. Um, and then things go horribly wrong as our memories and emotions get mixed in. So everything in the last half of the movie is essentially controlled by the passions of music, film, love, and everything else. And you love Bob Dylan, so that was a lot of that. And that's a big movie. It's almost similar to the way Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind found a different way to dig into a story and really connect with an audience. The way you're describing True. Vanilla Sky is kind of how I think about Eternal Sunshine. And the most guys a remake. Yeah. It is a, uh, a remake of a Spanish film that, uh, what is the actress her name? She's also in Vanilla Sky and ended up dating after the movie. Salma Hayek? Uh, no, no, not Salma Hayek. Penelope Cruz? Uh, Penelope Cruz. Yes. Uh, Penelope Cruz was in both versions of it. She was in the Spanish and the English remake, and then she ended up dating Tom Cruise to pick up each other on the <laughs> wow. Scientology. Apparently, you can rake in the women with Scientology. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> um, all right, two more. Um, we're gonna. How about uh, favorite musician or album? Favorite musician or album? That's a toughie. I got a lot of things. Um, my go-to would be this David Bowie live album called Bowie at the Beam. It is all 60s and 70s live recordings of him being on the BBC radio station. Mm. Uh, this album did different songs at the time. It's uh, pretty cool. Uh, that's just my go-to. But otherwise, I love Jeff Buckley. Uh, he has a double live album called Live at, at Chanel, which is amazing. Uh, Damien Rice's O and Nine are great albums. Uh, a lot of Nick Drake stuff. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I don't have like a particular favorite. I just have dope music. I love all music except for country, huh? and I like my rappers the worst too. <laughs> don't mention like that down south, probably. <laughs> Insane Kanye is like I get it. The man lost his mind, but he still makes pretty entertaining music. Oh yeah, and Runaway hit me very hard back in the day. Um, oh I yeah, that song is amazing. Three. Oh yeah, it's all good, but still. What else we got? Uh, one more for favorites. Um, oh, favorite athlete or sport? Favorite, favorite sport. I I don't know sport. Okay. So I I legit I I don't know sport. I know I know pro wrestling. In fact, it bothers me when I watch like football, and I'm always going, "Why can't we just tackle a quarterback, seal the plays off his wrist, and use him for the rest of the game?" <laughs> Everybody tells me that's illegal, but that seems like that'd be a brilliant strategic play. You know what's funny? Um, Awesome. I What's actually the only other really stuff I follow is MMA and boxing, and most of the guys I like borrow from pro wrestling. Like I like the guys who are like good interviewers and good talkers. So <laughs> I get it. I watched MMA when it first started back in, when UFC was out. I think I watched the UFC twenty, yep. and then I just fell off completely. I used to watch it when it was on the. Uh, I had one of those black boxes where you could watch all the stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, was, It was more than just wrestling. It was also spice. Okay. But uh, I could also just, I, I used to love those UFC fights. They were fantastic. Back when it was just uh, an excuse for Christy Jiu-Jitsu, it's like an infomercial. Uh, why their style could take everybody out. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to hit you with one other thing. Uh, how about this? Uh, any fears or biggest fears? Snakes, heights, anything? Oh, I got a couple here. Uh, deep water that I can't see in. The earth is covered so much that they're constantly finding things that wash ashore where they go, oh my God, we thought this was a escape. How is this here? So who knows what's under there? I could punch a bear. I could try to choke out a lion. But if you get me underwater and a murder creature just grabs me by the ankle, I'm going to die. <laughs> Not cool with that. It's irrational. It's crazy. But one day a kraken or something's going to come out of the ocean. I'm going to be like, called it. Knew something was there. Um, the other fears are uh, disfigurement and paralyzed. Wow. I, uh, like, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of height. Like, I'll hook, kind of like, you ever see anybody take, go over the top rope and they hook the top rope to their, their elbow? I'll do one of those if I'm up on a high somewhere. In case somebody tries to flip me over, I get controlled by the back. I know it's stupid, it's weird, but it's legit. Hmm. Uh, but I'll go skydiving if I have to, because in my head, I'm either going to land or I'm going to die. There's not, like, crippled or disfigurement. Huh. Man. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a way Real to look top. at it. <laughs> um, I like, like, when you ask people these questions, they usually hesitate like they haven't already thought about it. I'm like, ooh, I got this. Yeah, you are well prepared for this. <laughs> some people, like, favorite movie throws them off because some people are just a fan of movies, and then to narrow it down to a particular favorite, it might be their favorite recently, or, you know, they kind of got to rack their brain for one. Yeah. Well, like, here's, I'll ask you a question. Who are your favorite wrestlers? Okay, yeah, see, now that's a good question because, like, there is definitely recency bias sometimes and stuff, uh, but right yeah. off the top of my head, like, right now, uh, I've been watching some Dusty Road stuff, so, like, Dusty makes my list. Like it. Uh, Bret Hart, uh, because after the Hogan era, which I grew up on as a kid, Brett was the guy who started doing different type of matches that kept me hooked. Like, and he was the guy that I remember as a tag team wrestler, so I never saw this success coming. And I'm like, oh, gotcha. yeah, I'm like, okay, now like this guy can go from a tag wrestler to world champion. That's awesome. For me, it was Ric Flair, oh Flair, and sure. uh, Jushin Liger that have stood out amongst the rest. Recent favorites, gotcha. Tim Storm came out of nowhere to me. Uh, I, Eddie, I'm a big Tim Storm fan. Yeah. Eddie Kingston, it's like I've been enjoying watching him for a long time, but that promo he cut a couple weeks ago was the realest thing I've ever heard, and it just made me happy to see that kind of realness come through on TV. And I'm gonna say this real quick: uh, Tim Storm and Eddie Kingston. Uh, one thing that really connected with me to them recently is their interviews, and that brings us back to NWA Power because that's the whole format where guys like that can excel, and it's like, whoa, okay, these are awesome. But that's- yeah, Eddie has always been that person. Eddie is as real as you'll get. I've known Eddie from Spring of Honor. They, a professional, but also he'll just... If you can see some of the things we've done with him that we'll never get to air, you would be even a bigger fan of it. I think of him as kind of a modern-day Dusty Rhodes. When he talks, you listen. It, I feel what he's saying. And, uh, and legitimately, Eddie, Eddie would take three punches to get one in. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's actually, you know what, actually, and with Tim, too, and Eddie both, now that you say that, they don't seem that far off. Like, that's, like right away, before you even said that, I'm like, those are who those people are. <laughs> the thing I like about Tim is Tim is so down to earth and he has no ego whatsoever. Uh, Tim was 
the person that brought the NWA into the modern era, which you know is Billy Corgan. Years ago, Dave Lagana, who is vice president of the company and also producer, writer, and everything with Billy, reached out to me, and I wasn't doing anything in wrestling anymore, but Dave used to be my producer at the Nevada and HD Net to get friends with me. And he's like, would you like to be back in wrestling? And I was like, yes, I would love to do something again. He said, uh, Billy is buying the NWA, and we want you to be a part of it in Atlanta. And I was like, I'm in. He's like, good, I already told him you stay up. And when they did that at the time, everything was in disarray. and There was really no rhyme or reason to how the NWA still existed. Billy bought it, essentially, a name and a championship belt. And people thought he was crazy. They were like, why would you purchase the, the, the dead brand? It's nothing. And you know, Billy grew up on wrestling. He grew up on NWA and he was passionate about it and thought he worth it. There's people like me that look back and this is their childhood and this is their memory and there's no reason why that can't still be a viable thing. So as they started kind of bridging things together and finding the path, Tim Storm was that path. Uh, Tim Storm was NWA champion and, you know, at the time was very much out of his realm. He, he was in the deep water. He was, he was not in the safety zone anymore. Like, you work from a small little place, and all of a sudden you have this national attention on And, you know, Tim thrived. I think there's a lot of people that would collapse under that pressure, and instead of having ego or failing, Tim just kept on growing and building, and after so many years in the business, finally made a name for himself. And now people look at him, and you can associate with him, and you can latch on to him and be like, Tim Storm is kind of everything that's good in wrestling. You know, he's not going to do something stupid where you're going to read on the dirt sheet and be like, oh yeah, Tim Storm uh, got arrested for pills or beat up somebody or did this. Like, so, this guy is a family man. He teaches. He's someone that you could actually look up to. He's, he has a wealth of experience and knowledge and he has awesome technical prowess. It's really funny. So when we started, Tim was the face on that and then Nick came the championship. And I remember when Nick came in, I went, oh, I remember Nick from TNA. That's interesting. But he was never on my kind of my, my radar. And then Nick ran with the belt for a little bit, and Cody Rhodes ended up winning it from him. And that led us up to, I believe, it was NWA 70 anniversary show where they had the best of three balls match. And Nick ended up regaining the championship. And I remember when that happened, I was thinking, oh, it's champion again. That's interesting. So Cody's, Cody's going to go. I don't know what happens to that, but interesting. Nick. And I still at that point wasn't a Nick Aldis fan. And over the last year, mm-hmm. and plus, Nick Aldis has become someone, when I look at him, I'm like, that man is everything a champion should be. 100%. I would put the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis on any stage with anybody in the business, and he will deliver, and you will believe. Not just wrestling-wise, that man did cut a promo. Like, as I mentioned before, I produce, so I'm constantly coming up with content and be like, hey, Nick, I can just bring it to you right now. And they'll just walk in and hit something for three minutes and then walk away. And I'll just be left in awe. I mean, I could talk, but that man could make me feel. And that takes a lot, is to hit that point and convey things. Uh, Nick Aldis was a champion's champion. And I, if nobody has ever watched him wrestle or experienced that, you're missing out. No, I agree. One thing I always think with Nick is it's, he's a heel. But like when he's wrestling and he's defending that belt against Tim Storm, I feel like I'm actually watching an athletic competition. Like he comes off yes. like an athletic champion. He's an athlete. So, yeah. And we have the Crockett Cup coming up. Crockett Cup 2020. A huge show at the Gateway Arena. 
Uh, we actually have a press conference tomorrow morning for it that I have to go do. But the main event, I mean, Nick Aldis, Smartest Girl 2, $500,000 on the line in the UA Championship. It's two former friends that have come to blows over business getting in the way of these friendships. And it's crazy because I never thought I'd work for Ring of Honor again. And here we are kind of jumping back and forth and baiting them and they invade us. So tangentially, I'm like, oh, was my ex-girlfriend keeps on topic to my life pretty much. <laughs> we got a couple other questions and we're going to get you out of here because we know you're a busy man. One thing I want to ask you, you got about. me for as long as you need me. Just say what you need to <laughs> yeah. and I'll answer with whatever you need. You're a hell of a guy. I just want to ask you about the Circle Squared last week and get your thoughts on that because we really liked that show. We thought that really was something different. So Circle Squared is still a growing concept. We've been filming episodes for the last several months and we keep on changing things up. Essentially the premise is that non-contracted talent have the ability to appear on a program we basically do the interviews backstage. They have a press to put a promo in front of a live audience. They have the match, and then the fans will decide who they want to see again. I think I said at the beginning of that first episode, what you say here gets you where you need to be. Not only words, but actions mean volumes. And if you need somebody to latch on to you as a person, a character, whatever you want it to be, this is an outlet for it. Uh, right now, I think the first episode that we aired, I was doing the intros. There's other episodes I'll be doing commentary with people like James Storm and Allison Kay. It keeps on growing and evolving. So keep an eye out. It's going to be going to some interesting places. And I'm just curious to see where we bring it. Now, it all depends on how the fans react. I missed it last week, but how often are these episodes going to be released? Well, that's still up in the air right now. The, the key is to have content. And we have so much content and so many little things. Like um, I filmed a show that was called I've Got a Question or We've still thinking of a name of it, where basically we, much like you guys, we come up with an idea of, you know, if you could go back in time and watch one match live in a crowd, what would it be? And then get the answers from our talent, from the wrestlers and broadcasters and everything. So we have all the stuff that was sitting on that was slowly releasing. And the circle squared, we're just finding a place to put it in. Last week was just a way of kind of introducing it by replacing power. But that's not the goal. It's to be a supplemental show. And what day we're going to drop that on each week or bi-weekly or whatever, they're still up in the air. I don't have answers to that right now. Mm. It's an evolving creature. Nice. Well, you got us wanting more. And it's creating content we found through the podcast is one of the toughest things is you want to find out how to reach your audience. You want to be entertaining. But you also want to talk about something that interests you and find what niche of the wrestling world is kind of where your passion lays. Yeah, and what we were talking about with like Eddie Kingston having the ability just to, to really, you grasp onto it and say that man's real. That's my goal for a lot of the things that eventually I hope will find a home for people to visit and view. If you see the people that are behind the people you see on TV, it gives you... It builds upon who you already have as a concept of them. And that connection really speaks volumes, and that's how you grow a fan base. It's not an illusion. It, this person, I know who they are, and that's why I'm behind them. Or this person, I'm not really a fan, but I really want to see somebody drop on their head. <laughs> now, who are some of the people that, are, that you work with behind the scenes in NWA that you think people should know more about that they might not be familiar with? Dave Marquez is somebody who has had a foot in wrestling for decades and is responsible for stars that you would have no idea that you'd be like, oh my God, that guy. Like years ago, he told me I should move to LA when I was wrestling and work at the New Japan Dojo. And I was like, ah, I'm kind of comfortable on the East Coast. I don't think I want to go. 
The people I would have been training with were Fergal Devitt, who's now Finn Balor, Daniel Bryan, who's Bryan, you know, that, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, as well as Machine Gun Carl Anderson, Scorpio Sky, hmm. Rocky Romero. All these people were the people I was going to go train with. I was like, I'm talking about these folks. Like, Marquez used to work with the Young Bucks before anybody knew who they were. I thought we were working NWA shows with them being the hot NWA tag team against the Logan Brook. So he's somebody who you don't realize. And at the end of the day, you'd be amazed at the amount of work that goes into this. We have photographers there every freaking time. Everything backstage is filmed. So if there's ever a documentary, we have all the footage in the world between videographers, filmographers. Just, there is not a single person that is there that doesn't pull more weight than you could ever imagine. I've got a question for you because I personally am a big Smashing Pumpkins fan, and it's crazy to see Billy Corgan doing the NWA. Were you a fan before working with him, and how is that dynamic? I, I was a teenager in the 90s, and I love alternative music. Of course, I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. And as time went on, I was still a Smashing Pumpkins fan. I hear a random thought, thinking like, oh my God, it's like music. So when I first met Billy was trying to think I want to say it was either the Crockett Cup last year possibly maybe or no it was at Tried and True Wrestling we had a pop-up show with Tried and True Wrestling mm. and it was David Arquette and a hair match oh yeah 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 yes that was the first time I met Billy Corrigan and I hosted the press conference for that I met Billy and then at some point I think the first time I actually hung out with him was we are all at Legato's house and we're all just basically grown-ass men hanging out in pajama pants and t-shirts watching the History Channel in the middle of the night. Hmm. And I walk in the room and they're watching like the Hux for Nazi gold or something. <laughs> and I make some comment about have they found it yet? And Philly's just like, they're never going to find it. And then he paused the TV and he'd be like, we played a show there back in 1990-whatever where like the region they're in. He's like, it's scary because all you can think of is the history there. And we just had a conversation about this guy's life and Billy's just a normal guy. He happens to be a rich and famous musician. But he's a wrestling fan. He's just like all of us. Except the cool thing is he goes, hey, I like this. I'm going to create with it. It's very weird because, again, like, I've met people in the last, you know, 20 years from all walks of life. Some famous, some normal people. And everybody's just a human being. We all have our hopes, our dreams, our fears. We all got our weird things that we do. Our little idiots, species, our kids. And, and Billy is just a guy. At the end of the day, he's just a freaking guy. And when you remember that, it's my boss. But again, I have a rock star as a boss. <laughs> and, you know, he's cool, though, because I sometimes I'll disagree with something and I'll voice my opinion. And he'll, he'll listen to me and, you know, we'll have a debate and then we'll move on. That's a, that's a very important thing that people should totally, if you ever want to be successful in life, don't hold credit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Now, one last Smashing Pumpkins question. Since you are a fan, do you have a particular favorite album from them? Because for me personally, it was the Machina, the Machina album that came out right after a door. Uh, so my age, the way everything fell, would be uh, Melancholy to set. Yeah, that is a classic. That double album, just the hits on it. And the production, like Tonight Tonight, 1979, obviously Bullet with Butterfly Wings. I mean, it's just across the board, everything was fantastic on that. And the cool thing about Billy is the little known thing. In Ring of Honor, we had a pay-per-view, and he actually just, he came in, I think the album he had was like Night Nice or something like that. 
And he just basically said, hey, whatever song you guys want to use for the pay-per-view, use it. I'm just a fan. Awesome. Wow, that is cool to hear. Now, yeah, I mean, also, you might remember, he played Steve Carino to the ring in ECW at one point, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, I totally forgot yeah. about that. Kyle, are there any particular goals you have for yourself this year, whether it's with the NWA or anything? So, as somebody who a decade ago thought that they were done in the wrestling business, I was supposed to be on the Tough Enough season with Steve Austin. <laughs> wow. So, I was supposed to be doing that, and also Austin Aries was supposed to be with you. But then we got contacted about two and a half weeks before they started filming by the producers, and we were told that because we're already on TV with ROH, they got told by WWE they can't use anybody on TV. So that fell apart. And then about a month and a half later, HCNet on got canceled by Mark Cuban. So I had two big things I was doing that completely fell apart after everything had always worked for me. And again, we mentioned this before, I was like the worst version of guy in his early 20s to pop 50. I, I thought I deserved everything. I had an ego. I, I really did. So in my head, I thought, if I'm not going to do anything at the level I'm doing now, why would I do it at a lower level? Which is the wrong attitude to have. I basically took my ball and went home. Right. And then I was out of the wrestling business. After about a year, I was like, oh, I missed it. I was living in Orlando at the time. I reached out to CNA. Terry Taylor was running things there. And, you know, that didn't work out. And eventually, over time, I just went, I guess. I guess I'm done in the wrestling business because me being a prick, I said, I want this on my terms, I walked away. So I am, I am happy just to have the opportunity again. I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm heavier set, I'm balder. And my goals for this year is I'd like to be more commentary. I got to do some couple episodes back, I do some on Triple Square, that's a lot of fun. And I just really want to help grow the NWA brand. I'm a part of something that has a, a wealth of possibilities ahead of it, and I'm I'm happy to have been in on the ground floor on that and to have the faith and the trust of Big Boston that I can add uh, respectable content to that as well. It's awesome. Now, is there uh, anything you want to promote today? Twitter, upcoming events? Twitter, I am Kyle Davis, ATL, also Instagram, it's the same thing out there. Follow me, I post pictures of dogs, skin photos, and random things. <laughs> as far as everything else goes, we have the Crockett Cup coming up, as I stated. It's going to be on April 19th. It's going to be Crockett Cup 2020 at the New Gateway Arena in College Park, Georgia. It's going to have the tag tournament, but also, as I did before, the main event. Ari Spruill trying to wrestle the World Heavyweight Championship away from his friend Nick Aldis. So much on the line there. Uh, very interested about where that goes. Because, again, Marty works for Ring of Honor. So if Marty's victorious, I really don't know what that means for us. Tickets are going to be going on sale Friday on the 28th. And you go to Ticketmaster.com. Or if you're already following the NWA email list, Thursday, February 27th, there's actually going to be a pre-sale on there. If you're not watching NWA Power on Tuesday night at 6.05 on YouTube, you're missing out. Give it a shot. You might find something you like. And also, you can always catch up. It's online. All the episodes are still there. And also, if you plan on going to the Crockett Cup, or if you don't plan on going to the Crockett Cup, because hopefully the damn thing sells out, uh, you also have the opportunity to do some more TV tapings on April 20th to 21st at the GPP Studios in Atlanta. And I will be a part of that as always. Other than that, just, you know, like what you like. Everybody keeps on complaining online that this sucks, that that sucks, that this sucks. Just be happy there's, there's so many opportunities to see things. It was so hard back when I was younger because there was no internet. You had to get stuff on VHS. I used to buy uh, VHSs from RF Video at ECW shows so I could watch Japan. 
hmm. um, and tape trading and all this other stuff. There's a wealth of things out there, but there's nothing for everybody. Like, I always hear people complain about WWE. WWE stuff. Well, I have a lot of people I know, co-workers, friends that work for that company. And I can tell you that the reason people think it's stuff is three hours of so much content that is directed towards every type of person that could exist. Man, woman, child, young, old, this, that, the other thing. You're not going to like all three hours. But somewhere in there, there's going to be a 15-minute segment that speaks to you as a fan. And that's what you have to remember, is you're trying to give something for everybody. So even though if you don't like 90% of it, there's going to be a 10% portion there that is something you're going to fall in love with. That is pro wrestling. It is uh, just everything for everybody that you want to do. You might not give the thing that you want presented to you easily. You might have to search for it. But there is something out there. We are superheroes wearing sandbags. It gives everybody a hope and a dream to be something they never thought they could. And if you're a fan, always remember this. Everyone in this business was a fan before they got into it. With the exception of Bill Goldberg, he was just a football player. <laughs> God, that was great. I think the basic gist of that is people try to be more positive, and there's a good and a little bit of good in everything. Yeah. 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 There's so uh, many cool things out there. <laughs> Appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. I got to go build a bookcase. Have a good night It's the 531 where we take our top 5 list on a particular subject Debate it down to a top 3 list Further debate it down to a top 1 This week we're doing our top 5 cage matches First off, we got Scott from Voluntown Mm. He's got Magnum vs. Tully, the I Quit match yeah, he said if you didn't have that on your list, your list ain't shit. <laughs> he had originally just said this was the Dylon of his list, where mm-hmm. his list was just Magnum versus Tully, Magnum versus Tully, Magnum versus Tully, Magnum versus Tully, Magnum versus Tully. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a better way to say that. Either way, the match spits hot fire. Hot fire, baby. But he actually gave us a list of five. So the other selections on his list were Brett versus Owen from SummerSlam 94. Flair versus Harley Race, Starcade 83. Overrated. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Flair versus Von Erich from Star Wars. Mm. And Benoit versus Angle from Raw. Excellent. Excellent list, otherwise. Jesse from New Hampshire got his list in. He, I think he might have beat Randy this week. Randy, you wake up with the sun. How are you sleeping on our list? <laughs> but Jesse from New Hampshire had Hardy, the Hardy Boys versus the Dudleys, SummerSlam 01. Rock versus Triple H, Raw 99. Mm. Edge versus Angle, SmackDown 02. Damn. Cole versus Gargano, third fall in Toronto. And Vince versus Austin at the St. Valentine's Day massacre, massacre in 1999. Oh, interesting list there. I like the fact you pull out some random SmackDown and Raw matches. I always like that. Very good. Yeah, sometimes some of the best cage matches can be on TV, but they just blend in through the natural right, cycle. Right, because they weren't on the pay-per-view you can reference or something. Yeah, now Randy had Brett versus Owen. Yes. He had not the only time this appears on this whole list, but... America's Most Wanted versus Triple X. We'll get into that later. I'm not familiar with this match at all, mm-hmm. but I want to look it up since it's popped up on a couple. Yeah. We obviously have Flair versus Von Erich, Star yeah. Wars, yeah. and Blanchard versus Magnum, the I Quit match. All right, so we're going to hear a couple more of these matches on our list a few times. Vince and Steve Austin was on his list too, right? One, two, three, four. Austin versus McMahon, yeah. 
Yeah. Shit, Randy is. <laughs> Randy and Jesse both had that, ironically. Yeah, shit. Um, nah, not, it's not a bad cage match either because, like, Austin, I remember the real interesting thing was he was kept getting screwed by Vince in these storylines. Yeah. He kept wondering if he was going to get screwed by Vince. And, like, he'd get ready to leave the cage and then Vince would flip him off and Austin kept coming back and everything. Just get out of the cage, Austin. Yeah. We want to win this. You know, I was so invested at the time. So I, that, that didn't make my list, but I was happy to see these guys put it on there because that was. Really a good cage match. And Vince McMahon takes one of the most hellacious bumps probably in cage match history where if he takes that wild bump off the top of a cage and, like, bounces and hits the table. Damn, I'm going to have to look this up when I get home then tonight. Right. This is a first in our whole time of doing the 5-3-1, but we got a celebrity list this week. Oh, yeah. And it's our current week's guest, Logan Creed, mm-hmm. MLW superstar. Yeah. He had Angle versus Benoit on his list. Mm-hmm. Luger versus Dusty, Starcade '87. Great. Hogan versus Bossman, Brett versus Owen, and he was the other one that had Triple X versus America's Most Wanted. You know, I forgot to look this up. I think the Luger Dusty one he's talking about. I don't know if it's the one Dusty won one where he dropped Luger with a DDT on a chair, and then Luger also won one with I think the aid of a chair. I meant to look that up, but. It was interesting. No one else had that, but that was a memory from the old NWA Crockett days, which we'll find out later he's a fan of. <laughs> it's all right. We know Dave's not up on his research. Yeah, no, Dave's no, no. all personality, no books. I phoned it in, baby. I phoned <laughs> it in this week. Uh, uh, we'll get to that later, or yeah. maybe we won't get to that. Yeah. You hear how many people are on the show. The magic of editing, baby. Magic <laughs> of editing. <laughs> now, Sheaf sent his list in from the burnt basement, mm. and he's got Owen versus Brett. Okay. Magnum versus Tully, Flair versus Race, Flair versus Dusty, and Brett versus Diesel. Brett versus Diesel. That's the first time that's making our list. That's uh, that's an interesting one. I thought Bret Hart probably pulled out some of the best matches out of Kevin Nash back in the day. Yes, and Sheaf is a notorious Hitman fan. As am I. So it's not. I'm not surprised to see him pop up on his list. I have to say too, Brett and Owen has made this list several times. Going to make mine too. Spoiler: It's a very good cage match, but I think also this says like. The time period some of the people were watching this, too. Like, a lot of people wrote in and told me that, you know, they started watching wrestling around this time. True. Now, my list, I included Jericho versus Wyatt. That was a Monday Night Raw. I want to say it was September 2014. That was when Jericho jumped off the top of the cage onto Wyatt. Mm -hmm. And they had made, like, note that they had specifically made a structure up there or formed it in a way that you could jump off the top. And to me, it was a highlight of Jericho's return. I It just, it stuck into my head and I wanted to include a modern cage match. Yeah. I included Cody versus Angle from NEW WrestleFest. Okay, that's something that... I was there live. There, right? I saw the moonsault off the cage and that's the only reason I wouldn't include him versus Wardlow. Mm. If I... If I hadn't seen this live, Cody versus Wardlow would be on the list. But seeing Cody do that to Angle in a high school gym, it was just amazing. And it's NEW's biggest show of the year. Next up on my list, obviously, Flair versus Race, Starcade 83. When I want to watch a good old school match, this tends to be my go-to or anything from this time period. Flair versus Race, you said? Yes. That's, that's the one with Gene Kaniski as the referee? Yes, it is. Yeah, that, that just didn't do it for me. No, wow. I love Flair. I love Flair. I love Race. That match just fell short for me. 
Now, I I'm also had <laughs> Magnum versus Tully, the I Quit match. Yeah, that one is awesome. And I also had Brett versus Owen. You got Zach's list, too? I got Zach's list. He had Hogan versus Bundy. Yep. He had Brett versus Owen, SummerSlam 94. Mm-hmm. Flair versus Von Erich, Star Wars. Yeah. Blanchard versus Magnum, I Quit match. Mm-hmm. And Hogan versus Orndorff. You know what's funny is how many times, for not being the most best technical wrestler in the world, Hogan makes this list. Because to me, for whatever reason, Hogan, I think, shine in cage matches. I think those were some of his best matches. Actually, did we get AJ's list in yet? No, we didn't. He's he, he going to be up next. Yeah, because he made a point to say that he thought Hogan told a good story in the cage matches. Now, AJ's list included Snooker versus Morocco, Madison Square Garden. He had Luger versus Brody, which popped me because this is the infamous match where Brody decides to stop selling. Yep. He had the Magnum versus Tully I Quit match, Hulk versus Bundy, and then Tommy Rich versus Buzz Sawyer, the last Battle of Atlanta. Yes. And I, also part I, of what makes those old Hogan matches is just the blue cage, the the classicness of the time period. If they weren't the best cage matches, they stick in your head for a reason. Yeah, they definitely and he they did, did tell a story. They did tell a story, and the crowd was always on fire back for that. In fact, one match that didn't make this list, Tony Schiavone says is one of his favorite matches of all time, was Hulk Hogan versus Big Boss Man. Madison Square Garden, in a cage, Hulk Hogan superplexed Big Boss Man off the top of the cage. Wow. And Tony Schiavone calls that's the greatest match he's ever seen. And Conrad gives him shit about that, because that's the greatest moment in your life in the history of the business. <laughs> After everything you see with Ric Flair and all these matches, Hulk Hogan, Big Boss Man. Now, before we get to your list, Dave, mm. I want to go over a couple lists I got from Rockin' from the Rockin' Randy Outlaw Rockin' Wrestling Group. That's a fucking mouthful when you gotta say it on a podcast. But a couple members of the group gave me a full list of five matches, so I wanted to include them. Okay. One is Ian Totten, and he included San Martino versus Zabisco. Okay. Tully versus Magnum. Mm. Flair versus Von Eric. Lawler versus Idol. Ooh. And Cactus versus Triple H. Hmm. Now, Brian Huff, also from the group, included Triple H versus Undertaker, Sheep Herders versus Fantastics. Uh, I've got to look that match I believe up. that has, uh, like, barbed wire or chicken wire or something on the top of it. So. Holy shit, i got to see that. Very old school. UWF Mid-South, if I'm thinking of the right one. Nice. Flair versus Von Erich, mm-hmm. Bruno versus Sabisco, and Tully versus Magnum. Man, Tully Magnum made everybody's list pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now, we're going to finish up on your list, Dave. Who did you have? Well, uh, Tully versus Magnum. Uh, listen, uh, it's also an I Quit match that we didn't talk about. Uh, I mentioned everybody on here, you know, classic cage matches is what I wanted. Uh, this was a classic cage match, but it did have an I Quit stipulation. And this, the fact that Magnum takes the chair and the chair breaks off and Magnum takes the chair and put it into Tully's eye... This clearly is part improv, like they're calling in the match, and like it's a fucking fantastic match. Like I don't know, like now the way wrestling is so you know sanitized and choreographed, at least on a major level, you get moments like that too often, you know. And I'm not trying to knock today's wrestling. I'm just saying like that's a rarity. Um, that was actually one of the better panels in the recent Starcast years was the Magnum versus Tully panel, and Scott from Valentine was there, got to ask a question and. He couldn't say high enough praises about that. Hmm. I'll check it out. I mean, it's everybody's favorite. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people's favorite. I wouldn't say everybody's. Uh, To me, Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful made my list. 
Saturday night's main event, they jumped off the cage at the same time. This was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Uh, high intensity. Uh, Horndorf was one of those guys, he turned on Hulk Hogan. I saw it coming a mile away even as a kid, but it still like broke my heart and I was scared of Hulk Hogan. I was scared for Hulk Hogan. Like, I he, was he gonna say, scared of Hulk Hogan. No, 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 I was never that didn't come until the 2000s. But. Yeah. <laughs> I was scared of Hogan's thermos much later. Jesus. But uh, no, 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 that was definitely, uh, you know, actually it was funny. And AJ for mentioning Hogan told good stories in the cage. When I mentioned this to him to show what kind of reaction he get, he goes, "Yeah, that match always pissed me off because I thought Mister Wonderful won that match." <laughs> so know how much impact that Hogan had in a lot of these cage matches. Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair. Uh, you know, Zach mentioned this too when we were talking about it. The main thing about this match wasn't even about necessarily Ric Flair. It was Flair wins because Michael Hayes slams the door to Kerry Von Erich's head and ends up the heel turn for the Freebirds and sets off the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds. Which is like one of the hottest angles in wrestling history. So, I mean, that, I just gotta include that. Fritz didn't even have to lose a kid to pop that in. No, 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 or fake a heart attack. <laughs> Thank you, Fritz, for all you contributed. <laughs> Alright, Benoit versus Angle. Speaking of contributing so much to the biz, Chris Benoit. I know we got some readers who feel that he's contributed so much and it should, a lot of stuff should be overlooked that he did. But that's not here nor there. We're not going to call any names. You know who I know. AJ isn't hiding because of it. He said it. We had to edit it out. And now he's just... He, he's not returning our calls this week, guys. Yeah. We we got to get to the bottom of this Benoit business. Yes. So well, that was a great... That was a great cage match, though. Owen versus Brett. SummerSlam 94. Uh, I remember this was the return of Jim DeAnville Neinhardt and the British Bulldog, too. Wow. Both got involved at the end of this. And, you know, it was a great moment for Owen, who had just... Beat Brett earlier at WrestleMania that year, and you know he won the King of the Ring. But Brett kept that belt, kept the title, and showed why he was the big brother. <laughs> Sorry, Owen. <laughs> now, before we, I want to get off on a little sidetrack. Mm. But before we get to the top three, have you heard anything about season two of Dark Side of the Ring yet? Yes, today I did actually. Okay, recording. so you did read about. Uh, it. I remember uh, they're going to be covering the Benoit murders and Owen Hart. Uh, in particular, and uh, I've got the full list Herb here. Abrams, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm excited about that. They got the Benoit tragedy. It's going to be a two-part episode. I mm-hmm. hear Jericho's narration is going to be on it. Yes, you got the brawl for all, New Jack, mm. Dino Bravo, yeah. the Owen Hart tragedy, Herb Abrams, David Schultz, and John Stossel. Yes, Snooker and Nancy Argentino, mm. and the Road Warriors. Yeah, this is big. This mm. is going to kick off March 24th at 9 on Viceland. Mm-hmm. If you liked season one, check out season two. They're also going to have an after show, or each show is going to have a post show hosted by Chris Gethard, and it's going to have a panel of guests from both entertainment and wrestling. So I'm glad to see they're doing a little extra with it going forward. I'm actually more interested in like the... The stuff like Brawl for All, like just to see like what they cover about that. Yeah, know? yeah, and like Herb Abrams, like that's a name I don't hear anymore. And you know, what, what are they gonna do about the Road Wars? I would say most of that's probably about Road Warrior Hawk. I, I would imagine him yeah. and the drug use. Or yeah, who knows? I mean, Dark Side, anything Viceland has done, whether it be the wrestlers with Damian Abraham mm-hmm. or Dark Side of the Ring, is gold. Yeah, and I just can't wait to see where it's going forward. But remember, that's coming up. March 24th at 9, so only a couple weeks away. Yeah. Well, right. we got to figure out who's the best cage matches of all time, Daddy. <laughs> that's right. We're into the top three now. Mm-hmm. Magnum versus Tully made a couple lists, so sure. that's going forward. Yep. Brett versus Owen made a couple lists. That's going forward. Mm-hmm. 
I want to get to two honorable mentions, and then we're going to do a debate for that third spot. Okay. Bruno versus Zabisco. Mm-hmm. That popped me to see it because you didn't see it too often. There's no way it was going to make the top three. But that's a legendary feud that you hear a lot about that I'm personally going to go watch that just to kind of jog my memory of what happened there. Hogan versus Orndorff. You and AJ both having it. Zach. Oh, you and Zach both having it. Pissed off, AJ. You know, it brought me back to a time where just that's... That's how cage matches were for a while. Mm-hmm. I found the hardest thing about this list not putting on Hell in a Cells. I wanted to put on a couple war games. Sure. Shit is what it is. But for that I was third, a dick about it. <laughs> hey, and that's what this list is about. It's mainly all how you define it. I always keep my definitions a little open mm-hmm. just to include something else out there. But I'm also robbing us of a chance of having separate Hell in a Cell favorites sure. or a separate War yeah, Games a- AJ wanted to have the Chamber of Horrors with Abdul the Butcher getting <laughs> electrocuted, and I told him we can't do that. <laughs> so for this third spot, we're going to bring it down between Flair versus Race and Flair versus Von Erich. And Dave, you made your case pretty I think happy. we know where I stand on this. <laughs> I am Flair and Von Erich all the way. Again, I love Ric Flair and Harry Race. I think they're two of the best. And I love Kerry. But if you ask me, like, who the greatest wrestlers of all time, Flair and Race are going to come before Kerry. However, when it came to just this particular cage matches, I don't know. Flair and Race seemed a bit off. I think it was Jim Kaninsky. I thought he got in the fucking way in this match. When you go back and watch it, I felt like he tripped over them a couple times. And no offense to Gene, I think you fucked up the match. So, I'm, personally, I'm going for Flair and Kerry here. I got no problem as long as Flair makes it going forward. Sure. I'm in. So, we got Flair versus Von Erich. Yeah. So for our top three now, we got Magnum versus Tully, Brett versus Owen, Flair versus Von Erich. Mm. Let's start off by saying this, like Chief, I'm a huge Bret Hart fan. Yeah. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time. That being said, I'm not going to say that match with Owen was Anywhere like, near as important as Magnum or Tully or No, Flair and here's the thing Von too. Maybe because I was older than some of these guys, too, but I saw the booking. I never thought Brett's title ring was in danger in that one. So, you know, I thought I knew the outcome going into it. So that could affect my viewing. But, you know, again, now, if you were to break it down from a classic wrestling matches, Brett Owen all day long are right there and could be number one on this list. But as far as the cage and the violence goes... Yeah, man. I mean, actually, I can already tell you who I'm leaning towards with number one. I, I'm fine taking that out. So yeah. now it's Magnum versus Tully and Flair versus Von Erich. And here's the thing: this is going to be a top one, a tough top one to choose. I think that may for some people, not for me. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> All right, I have strong got, opinions on this. So you got this. All right. Side. So yeah, I'm I'm taking over this week. I'm taking it over, baby. So here it goes, <laughs> Flair. Versus Von Erich. Great cage match, but what it's most known for was, and everybody wrote this in too, pretty much, it set off the feuds with the Freebirds versus Von Erichs. Historical. But that's not what we're talking about here as greatest angles. We're talking about greatest cage matches. And you talk about pure intensity, go back and watch Magnum versus Tully. That is the cage match. Little side story, my boy Jake going through a divorce this year, all right? Sorry, Jake, I'm throwing it out there. I went through a divorce. <laughs> Buy his book, please. Buy his fucking book, all right? The kid needs it. Lost City Highway. Little thing, if you're trying to fucking talk about somebody's book on the fly mm. and the title's written in a weird way, look on the spine of the book to figure it out. Jake brought you the 531 last week. We fucked it up. That's Lost City Highway. Lost now back to Jake's back divorce. Back to Jake's brutal divorce. So he was telling me, you know, he's asking me like how mine was going. And 
my divorce went quick, and I told him I compared it to like my divorce was like Hogan and Warrior. At the end of the day, I had to put the belt on her, raise her hand, but we shook hands and we were cool. His divorce looks like sounded like it was Magnum and Tully, where he was getting a stick shoved in his eye. And he had to yell, "I quit." The bottom line is this cage match is so brutal it compares to people's divorces in life. All right, this match. Must be number one. For goddamn Jake's sake, this match is number one. Better in the eye than in the ass. So the winner this week is Magnum versus Tully. I can't tell you what happened before. So it's a business. <laughs> Jake, I hope I hope everything's going well. Now this Dave heard your shit out. I hope we sell that book, baby. I got you. <laughs> Remember, Lost City Highway. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to read something out of this book because we were talking about Whoa. it last week. Fucking exclusive. I know. I found a quick short one. Spoiler. Really good little poem. Give you an idea of what's cooking in here. It's called Old Young. All the dreams you never had are tangled in your eyes and briefly escape hidden under the words that slipped from your tongue. Mm. Deep shit. Amazon, go buy it. Hopefully we'll find the link and put it up on Twitter, but Mm -hmm. we're not always the most technically advanced and, you know, we got shit going on. We're the working fans. Yeah, I got a job. Yeah, we're just short of 900 listens. It took us how many months? We don't even want to get into that. Cave favorite, brother. Cave favorite. We're doing great. None of your business. Yeah, we've only been at this three months. Business is booming. (laughs) What's what's booming more? Austin Martin's potato bread right now. We don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Sorry I brought it up. Talk about something easy like our divorces. (laughs) Fuck. Something that hurts less. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. All right. All right, shit. Well, uh, we're going to end on that note. Later. Later. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast with Dave and Joe. we got a special talent on today, the former Gorgon, now known as Logan Creed. He is part of MLW. We're excited to have him on. Logan, how you doing, bud? I'm good, guys. Thank you all for having me on. Uh, no, it was a pleasure, man. Right off the bat, like, how did you get into wrestling? Were you a fan before? What happened? Yeah, I've been a fan, you know, for as long as I can remember. Started young watching the nwa uh, actually with my grandparents and so that's kind of how i got into it i remember you know watching the old pay-per-views and basically the entire community where uh where we lived would come to my grandparents house to watch it it was, a, it was actually an event you know I, I remember thanksgiving thanksgiving being more about starcade than about thanksgiving so wow super fan <laughs> Oh, yeah. I got into it. I, I wrestled in college. And during my time there at East Georgia College, I actually found out that there was a wrestling show that, that ran nearby. It was just a local independent wrestling show. And I went, checked it out, talked to the guys about training. And that's, you know, that's kind of where I started training. And then the training kind of just progressed from there. Uh, I would say I spent many years training with, with different people and, and under different people as I kind of traveled to, to, you know, traveled to different shows and, and different places. Just out of curiosity, because I grew up in that early WWF 80s and NWA era too, who were some of your favorite National Wrestling Alliance wrestlers back then? Definitely Sting, Legion of Doom. I was a huge Nikita Koloff fan. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, I think Sting and, and Legion of Doom were probably the, the top guys that I remember as a kid that I would watch and, and watch closely, and, and it reflects into you know what you see in my character today. That's awesome. We had Nikita on actually maybe what about a month ago? Yeah, yeah. So that's super cool. He was a great guy. We actually like talking to him a lot. Did you work for a promotion called? I want to make sure I got this right. Me and Joe were talking about Southern Horror Wrestling. Southern Horror. Yeah, is that right? Is that, that was something I saw on Facebook. So that might not be accurate. <laughs> I had it down as... Um, 
SFCW. SFCW? Yes. SFCW would be Southern Fried Championship Wrestling. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> there was an angle I saw. It looked like they were power driving, a lady. You were getting beat down. That's why. Oh, okay. Southern Honor, Southern Honor wrestling. Southern Honor, all right, I'm dyslexic, all right. <laughs> that no, makes more yeah, sense. I'll tell you, man, Southern Honor is, it's really a show I feel like that Georgia's needed for a long, long time, and they just recently put all of their stuff on independent wrestling TV, but it, it's the production value is out of this world. And, you know, I'm sure if you saw some of the clips, you've seen it, but uh, I would definitely recommend to go and check out some of the shows that they've done and that we've done there. Probably one of my favorite matches that I've ever had was was with them when they first started in 2018. It was me and Austin Theory. And if you guys are familiar with Austin, he's in NXT now. Oh, yeah. Amazing but, talent. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, seriously. And, you know, he and I kind of got close during 2018 and, and before he left. And so that was that was like a huge, huge night for me getting to work with him. And, and it was incredible, especially getting to work there. Like I said, at Southern Honor, it's drawing you know, some great crowds. You know, they're drawing between 500, 600 fans every show. And that was unheard of for a long time in Georgia. How did they come up, or how did you come up with, with the name Logan Creed? Because I love the name, but that's also because it kind of reminds me of like Wolverine and Rocky, which was like two of my favorite <laughs> movies. So, <laughs> so. No, you're, 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 right, you're right on track. Okay. You know, I'm a huge comic book guy comic collector, toy collector, and Logan and Sabretooth, Victor Creed and Logan, were my favorite heel babyface combination in comics. I love the constant struggle there between the two, and so I just put them together. And then that's where Logan Creed come from. Awesome. You know what, too? I don't know if anyone's told you this, too. I was looking at it today. I saw older pictures of you in hair and stuff, and I saw you, like, now. Has anyone told you you look like Luke Gallows, or is that just me? I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and you know, but this was fun. Is you know, I, Gallows helped me out a lot. Oh, sure. um, seven years ago, yeah. Because I, you know, I've been wrestling. I've been in professional wrestling since '04, and you know, I was in and out of it, kind of piddling. Uh, you know, at that time back then, there wasn't social media like there is now. You know, we were still sending VHS tapes to promotions to try to get booked. So that's that's how long ago we're talking. Mm. And, you know, it, it wasn't as easy as it is now to just kind of network. You know, if you showed up to a show, they may just put you in a match and beat the hell out of you and because nobody knew who you were. Knew who you were. I mean, mm. that's just the way it was then, especially down here. You know, it was it was a lot different. So I just kind of piddled in it for a long time. I didn't, you know, I really wasn't out there. I mean, those people who have seen my stuff now or know me now, they don't think I'm always, they think I've been wrestling for, you know, four or five years. Hmm. They don't realize that I've been around that long. And, you know, like seven years ago when he, he had just come out of the WWE the first time. So it may have been even longer than that. I met him at a show. He saw me and we, we started talking and he just got, he kind of took an interest in me and he started helping me network and helping me get out of the state. And so I owed him a lot early on as far as when I really started getting the ball rolling and getting my name out there. Oh, that's awesome, man. Now, I, I wasn't even thinking about this, but we're talking about Luke. Have you been out of state, like to Mexico, Japan, or any place yet? I have been to Mexico once last year. We went down and did a show. Bill Barron, if you're familiar with the name, mm -hmm. he did a show for a resort in Cabo. 
Mexico. They kind of they wanted a wrestling show and, and reached out to him, and he brought us in for that. I haven't done anything with the Crash or AAA yet. I'm assuming that's going to happen sooner than later now that I'm with MLW and the relationship they have with AAA. That's awesome. I, actually, that was one thing I definitely wanted to ask you because we're big MLW. Actually, our favorite promotions right now, I mean, we watch obviously the Wednesday Night Wars. I want to call that. I, I feel like an ass calling that. Never mind. But <laughs> but besides NXT and AEW, like some of the favorite stuff we like to watch as fans, like on this show, is MLW and NWA. Like those are like our two favorite promotions we follow right now. Right. I really, man, like, when I first saw you in the Battle Royal as a fan, you know, and, like, when they brought you on as the, the Dynasty, and I'm like, okay, we'll see where this is going, you know, heavy hitter. But, like, the little segment you did with Mance, where, you know, you called MJF an asshole and the beer, and then as the look with Logan Creed this week and uh, the match you had, I was like, okay, I'm really interested in this guy now. I want to see where he's going and what he's doing. And it's really funny to hear you've been in the business that long. It makes a lot more sense now, too, because I thought, okay, this guy looks a lot more polished than I thought, too. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's, like I said, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, people don't realize. It. And it's just because I wasn't out there, you know, I didn't really have a following. And I blame myself as, as much as anything because you have to put in the work to do that. You know, once, once it clicked and once I realized what I had to do to do that, then everything kind of started falling into place. And, you know, I put in the work in myself, in my body, and the way I looked. And, you know, if you look at older pictures, you can even see from five years ago the difference. And from when, you know, like you said, when I had hair to now, it's a completely different person. Oh, yeah. And and it's just because I just I made that commitment, you know, and it is a commitment. It's a, it's a choice that you have to make and commit to in life all the way around. It's not just, you know, half you have to get to the full time. And once I did that, obviously, we see where it's led me. What in particular do you know what puts you on MLW's radar? Or how that happened? I sent in, I guess, right at the end of 2018, 2019, I kind of started sending out a resume that, you know, I kind of had a nice one build. I had enough matches that I could, that I felt like were good enough to put out there to some of these bigger promotions. And I started sending stuff out. I was working for WWN in 2018 and the beginning of 2019. I started working with FIP. And, you know, and in my mind, I thought Evolve was going to be the, you know, the path. And, and that was kind of what I had my eyes set on. MLW, you know, once I sent in a resume, I didn't really think about it. You know, and it's not that it wasn't there. It's just it wasn't what I was focused on because I was already on the path to Evolve. I'm assuming that's what they did. I know George Carroll Jr. reached out to me initially, and I know that he does a lot of talent scouting for them, especially in the Southeast. So I do know that he had a part in it. I knew that Ron Neme, who's a guy from a promoter from Florida, he was kind of pushing my name to people within the company. So I think it's, it's all of that kind of combined together. It's what made them reach out to me. You've been there, I mean, not for too long, but is there anybody that really stuck out to you so far in terms of working, whether it's in the ring or backstage? You know, I'm not just saying this as a company guy because it's a company guy answer, but, you know, Court has been super easy to work with. He is, he's very invested in not just one talent, but all the talent. Yeah, he, he's super invested in everything that's going on, and he's got his hands on everything that's going on. He's very aware, you know, of what's happening. And the guys in the locker room, you know, everybody is is there to work. You know, there's not really egos. There's not really you know, anyone that's, that is hard to work with. It, I feel like everybody's motivated to achieve something. 
And I think it reflects in what's happening in a very short amount of time for the government. Yeah, they have a really good blend of talent. I think that, and that's that's one of the things I love the most is the difference in the, in what you're getting. You know, everybody brings something different to the table. Absolutely, you have guys like with legit shooting backgrounds. You have second generation, third generation wrestlers, and just brawlers and luchadors. It really is quite a fusion of talent, like it says. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, and not only just talent, but personalities and and the things that they can do. You know, in the backstage segment. I mean, you know, Hammerstone and, and Holiday and MJF, like the, the stuff that they do in with Dynasty is amazing. It's great TV. Oh yeah, to certain it's phenomenal, and and that's one of the things I love the most is the storytelling that they're doing. Hundred percent, and then too, like I mean, even Hammerstone. Like I'm glad you brought him up. But it was something me and Joe talked about. We had Richard Holiday on here once, and we were talking about how when I first saw Hammerstone, like he was kind of the muscle of the group, and you had MJF at the time, and I thought, uh, Hammer's not really going to probably fit in to this, but I like his role. But then it, he like added layers to his character as it went on. Like he became comedic too, and he's like just awesome all around in that group. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's what it's all about is is building on what you're already doing. And I think that's one of the really great things about the, the office in MLW is that there's, it's a combination of, hey, what do you think about your you know, your persona and, the, and this personality? And then here's what we see from the outside. And it really helps you grow you know, as a talent because you don't always see it how the world sees it. You know, you, you have a vision of how you think it should be, but you know the people on the outside looking they see it a completely different way. And when you're able to hear that and, and kind of combine it all together, you really start adding, like you said, layers to what you're doing. Absolutely. Any particular good friends in the business, like you would say? I'm sure you have a bunch, but people that really helped you out or you really had a bond with. I think Gallows, like we talked about. Yep. Michael Stevens, who is a, he's a talent here in Georgia. Phenomenal talent. Does not get the recognition he deserves. But uh, early on, he was super helpful when, at a time when, if he hadn't have been around, I probably wouldn't be here because I was just, you know, I wanted to wrestle, but I didn't really want to wrestle. And, and he was, he stayed on me about the fact that I had a lot of potential. And then definitely Austin Theory. Like I said, he and I got really close. And he, when I was around him and our time that I, you know, we spent together traveling, he was the guy that made me realize that when you surround yourself with people that are going to be successful, you succeed. You know, he just, he, he had that aura about him. He had that energy and you didn't really have a choice. You could either, you either attach yourself to it or you couldn't deal with it and you had to get away from it. That's awesome, man. How about this then? Any goals you got for this coming year? You know, this year, I just, I really want to, you know, see what's happening already and continue to grow. And, and that's just bring attention to me on a larger scale and, and really get my name out there and, you know, just, I do my part in helping MLW succeed as a company. You know, I think it's going to continue to grow. I think there's a lot of things happening right now that aren't known yet that's going to make it even bigger. I just want to. I want to continue to grow as a talent. You know, I think I think uh, I'm, I haven't reached even half of my potential yet. So I'm excited to see where I go. Yeah, we are too, man, and we mean that. Is there uh, before we wrap up? Is there anything you want to promote? Twitter, uh, upcoming dates. You uh, just go for it. Please give me a follow Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at D. Logan Green. Upcoming dates, I will be in LWB in Chicago in March. Actually, April, I'm sorry. There'll be a AAA in March. You can follow me. I post everything that I'm doing and everywhere I'm at. Most of the shows that I do, you can check out on Independent Wrestling TV or Hotspot. 
uh, on site. So I appreciate the support. All right, man. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to uh, interview you. We've really enjoyed your work on NLW so far, and uh, we look forward to seeing more of you this year, man. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, guys. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every 